All righty. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Fitness in Philosophy podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin, and I'm joined, as always, by OPEX Fitness founder, James Fitzgerald. How are things going today, James? <laughs> things are great. <laughs> it just seems so, um, so made up, the way we just talked to one another. We were just talking for like 20 minutes. It was and, like uh, that's why I was yeah. snickering. That's why I was snickering is like, we just got through that stuff, right? But how am yeah. I doing? You know how I'm doing. I'm doing great. Yeah. Thanks, Robbie. Yeah, for anyone who's curious about back of the house stuff, we literally just shot the shit, shoot the shit. Yeah, we shot <laughs> four, the shit four, for 35 four, four minutes. Yeah. 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 37 minutes. Uh that's that's gonna be the podcast episode. We didn't And hey, that. we had a lot of stuff in there. Just so you know, it's not just like throwing stuff around. We talked Shakespeare, we talked uh cultural wars. Yep. We talked uh cross country ski racing. Yep. Whew. I mean, I mean, that's a, that's a life right there. Those are all the same topic too. Like, I don't think people understand. Like, Basically, that was actually, like it's all tied in. It was like, <laughs> those weren't three separate topics. It was like Steve Jobs with the iPhone announcement. These aren't three separate devices. <laughs> one device. <laughs> all one topic. Oh, we talked singularity. Yes. We talked the singularity and eternal life in the digital yep. realm. Yeah. 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 So Shakespeare, Chaucer, <laughs> skiing, shitty culture, and uh, and uh, what was the S I just said? Singularity. Yep. All the S's. That's going to be the B side podcast that actually like surpasses the yeah. main podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I taped it all off on my phone. I got video memo, a video oh, okay. or sorry, memo, whatever it's called. <clears throat> actually, uh, just out of a uh, uh, interest to our viewers as well. Um, I have this, uh, and you never know, this is just a chance. We may have an expert on here who, uh, knows bird sounds and could tell me what bird this is. Okay. Um, cause I got this bird that's, uh, hanging out at my house and I don't know what I've been watching it and looking at it. You know, I got the binoculars and I can tell you how it's described. Uh, it's got this white breast and a longer tail, and it's, I guess, kind of medium. It's bigger than a cardinal. That's how I would say it, because a cardinal is also there. But uh, let me give you a little, uh... <laughs> I'm calling it Chirpy. That's what I've named the bird, Chirpy. Anyways, this is the bird, and let's see if we can, uh, we can, anyone can understand who this is. over and over like takes a little like a 10 second break and then these elongated pieces and a 10 second break elongated pieces i'm assuming I'm, I'm thinking i'm just making an assumption i'll throw it out there for i think it's a desert wren yeah w-r-e-n i did a little bit of research but i can't figure it out interesting I, initially i was going to say that sounds similar to something i'd heard and then like it when, when it got into it i was like no nah, i've never heard that before or at least i don't think i have yeah. um so if there are any ornithologists out there, 
let us know. Yep, we're listening. So James, and my reason why I went there just in case, like, why did you go there? Is because I said that I was taping you off, but I really wasn't. But I was taping off birds. So okay, gotcha. Yep. So my question for you today, James, is uh, oh, and by the way, I released a. Uh, I don't. I don't think you saw it, but I released a clip the other day from one of our shows in honor of the CrossFit Open, where we were joking about. Uh, this relates to the question for today, but we were joking about how 21.1 through 21.5 was going to be a 60 minute bike. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that got a lot of, I got a lot of uh, attention, but my, my question for you today in honor of something that neither of us are doing or participating in or really having anything to do with these days, but just the fact that it's going on, just curious. Yeah. Um, how'd you get into CrossFit? How'd, how'd that come to be? Yeah. Um, I had a, uh, uh, a friend and uh, a former uh, former uh, college mate um, and a colleague uh, who was participating in uh, fighting, mixed martial arts. And he was in uh, Saskatoon, part of a club there. And as a hobby, um, so at the time he was just... Uh, uh, married, no kids, and uh, he's an occupational therapist, and so was his fiance at the time, or girlfriend at the time. And I preempt with that because he had lots of time to do this, which was pursue mixed martial arts. <clears throat> he had done some wrestling back in the day, strength conditioning advocate. He's put his time in. Now he's inside the sport. And for years, him and I have been going back and forth on proper training practices for tr for training for MMA. And uh, I was kind of giving him some input and just feedback on what we knew about strength conditioning and how it kind of relayed into that. And uh, then he went, I think he went to a camp somewhere um, anyways, and they had a bunch of the California folks come to the camp uh, fighters and they were talking about this thing called CrossFit. Hmm. That was in early 2004, I think. And he was like, Hey Fitz, you should check this out. <laughs> um, and that's it. And it just went from there. And I kind of dabbled dabbled i think it was yeah well 2004 ish i don't know if it was early 2004 late 2003 or late 2004 early 2005 but i think it was early 2004 i just you know looked at it did some stuff played with it didn't post every day but just was kind of like you know thinking what the hell are these people doing what's the concept touched it and yeah that was it so that was that was almost 17 years ago wow interesting yeah a lot of reps. A lot of reps. <laughs> a lot of reps. Mine was uh, a fellow philosophy grad student who was going out for the PT test, I believe, for the Marines. Mm. Uh, shout out to Vince if he's listening. Um, up, Vince? And uh, yeah, he was just, he and I had done kind of muscle and fitness bodybuilding stuff. He, he was one of the, let's put it this way in philosophy, grad school, just in grad school in general, there's kind of like two camps of, well, it, it depends on the grad school, of course, but like a lot of grad students are like smoking, drinking, like I've never seen the inside of a gym, not eating healthy. So he was one of the few people who lifted and we would do, you know, bodybuilding stuff together. And he's like, Hey, you should come try this out. And finally I gave it a shot. And, uh, First workout was Fran, which I did with 
banded pull-ups and you know i mean i mean all, all the stuff that you would imagine i mean this is this is august of 2010 so all the stuff you would imagine at that point but you know, you know crossfit south bend and brandon and all of us have come a, come a long way since then let's let's put it that way so yeah um but yeah and then i was like yeah man gotta do that again yeah got, got, got that itch got that, that was itch. interesting yeah, that was interesting. More than eight reps. This is yep. interesting. Yep. <laughs> what was that? Because I think I'd, I'd always said to him, um, you know, and there's some part of this impulse that's has some virtue in it, but also in, in another part of it that's not so great. But I used to wrestle in high school, and I said, if there was ever anything I could do physically that had a similar type feel yeah. to that, um, yeah. you know, that would be interesting to do. And so I think that's part of what grabbed me, but. Yeah, that's what pulled a lot of wrestlers in uh, for the culture of wrestling. I mean, it weeds out, so I can make this statement. I think it's true, um, i.e. people who last in wrestling uh, generally don't have this, like, intention inside them, but wrestlers at the end of their career and how why they got pulled into CrossFit and why, uh, I think, to put some language to how I perceive it as to why they get pulled in, is they know what it's like to work, like truly work hard. So if, if anything they get their hands on, which is like, <laughs> that there's a whole bunch of work hardness inside of that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. let's do this, you know, because yeah. it's in their nature to like, you know, outwork, out hustle, do more and just find that like dose response, right. Of like, you know, get in there and rip it apart and do it and get to an exhaustion and relax and then wait until your energy builds back up for you to do it again, you know? Um, so I, I always appreciated that in the wrestling mindset. Um, and that's, that's why um, it turned out really good. Um, as a side note, I don't know if it, I can't remember. I think I used to believe or have some truth in that, but I think Chris Spieler had a wrestling background. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think he did. And it, and plus, you know, looking at his background, what he did for trying to get stronger, et cetera. If you go back and look at his history prior to CrossFit and the days where he came in when I was on the blog at the time, um, you, you could just immediately see his like, you know, the devil, the devil that's just landed on his shoulder, right? That I was like, oh, this will be interesting. <laughs> You know, even the little innuendos at the end of the workouts and stuff, the wrestling, I, I used to call it like the, the wrestler's mindset, right? It's like, you know, you're going to do a post-workout something and then you're doing triples and now you're just like, you know, uh, so it's, uh, it makes sense to me. It makes total sense to me when, when uh, that mindset comes into the sport and, uh, and sees it, it just makes sense. Yeah, I agree with that. And the connection I just thought of that, is more humorous than anything else, but I think may be part of it. Uh, not that Chris Spieler and I are anything I like athletically, probably two opposite ends of a spectrum, but uh, in a society that prizes uh, tall people and athletics that prize tall people, short people such as myself, mm. <laughs> like, you know, powerlifting, <laughs> crossfit, it's like, hey man, you know, I can, I'm, I'm you know, deadlifting, I don't have to go that far, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I don't have to go that far. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was always the, uh, even the, I'm not going to say that Chris, you know, talked about this, but 
you can go back and look at the truce on it. There's always complaints around it, right? But um, the uh, standard load test that came out, right? Like Elizabeth with 135 pounds, uh, everyone was like, oh, that's too heavy for someone who's smaller. You should have weight categories, you know, that's where that comes in. And then all of a sudden when wall balls and rowing comes up as a workout, then, you know, it's like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, we need to have it on our side. It was always that, always that game, right? Um, that's where the, you know, the avatar was built, right? Uh, Kalipa was too big. Froning was a little smaller. There it is. That's the yeah. avatar based upon the tests. And, you know, you got to have some, uh, got to have some meat, but you can't have too much meat. No, you know, you're going to, you're not going to cool down and you can't do all the work and <clears throat> you need to be at that right, beautiful spot, which Zatsiorski um, and Kramer discussed that in detail, you know, for 50, 60 years, that was noticed, right? Moving load and the, the optimal body weight for load moving. And then you attach a, um, a genetic code to that and a characteristic with an essence to do muscle endurance. You got yourself rich phoning, right? Yeah. Um, that avatar. So <clears throat> that makes yeah, sense. good times. Yeah. Interesting little side note that I just thought of as I was saying that with Fran, uh, my mom's name is Fran. And back when I was much more into CrossFit than I currently am, uh, which was only a very brief period, maybe like the first couple of years of doing it back in the early 2010s. Um, and then it was power athlete and powerlifting and stuff like that. But anyway, my brother and I were considering at some point doing like a, uh, like CrossFit accessories or something like that. And the name was going to be Sons of Fran. Nice. Which would have been, I, I mean, would, would, Dude. Yeah, would, a, a good name, but. Uh, Too yeah. bad you didn't start a blog on blogspot.com right. back in yeah. the day. That would right. have been a killer. Yeah. People would love that. Did you always feel slighted every time someone would like pick on Fran or say, I'm just going to give it to her. So F Fran, did you guys always feel a little slight? It was a little weird. It was right? a little weird. I'm not, not, weird. I'm not going to lie. A little weird. It had to have been. Yeah. Right. Um, but I just yeah. think about that. My mom's name was Marion. You know, that came up as a workout where I was just like, people were like, we're just going to fucking destroy Marion. Be like, oh yeah, I guess. <laughs> And even just you saying that right now, like, just is making me think of like, just, yeah, that, like that whole, yeah, just, just even saying that. And you know what I mean? Like with the named wads and yeah, there's, there's something weird. Yeah. There, yeah. There's a whole lot of weirdness in there. Well, it's a lot more exciting than saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to do 21 front squat push press. Then we're going to do 21 <laughs> pull-ups. Then we're going to do 15 front squat, you know? Instead, it's like, it's a storm and. Yeah. Oh man, good times. Good times. Beavis Butthead should come through. Beavis and Butthead should come through here with a little, <laughs> little side note <laughs> sound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right guys, so or today we're park. <laughs> Who's that? The... <laughs> oh yeah, Cartman or uh, <laughs> Kenny. Yeah, Hartman and Kenny need to come through the screen here. Yeah. They would be doing WAD 21.2. Yes. Whatever happened to the computerized version of uh, Coach Glassman doing those? Uh, remember back in the day, these little YouTube clip videos of uh, they would have uh, Coach Glassman in a what looked like a South Park kind of uh, 
uh, computer generated um, voice beast mode oh uh i used to read a lot of epic beast mode and uh oh, we gotta, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember i don't know that i ever saw that oh gosh well listeners do your work bring yeah. it back for robbie because i'm sure it's out there somewhere um and at the time that was really good really funny i think he was doxed at his job by someone at hq and then i, I don't think the blog exists anymore oh yeah but if someone has if someone has this stuff Yes, send it. Oh, to I'm you. sure it's it's sure it's somewhere. Fitness and philosophy at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> that that was oh man, that was one of my yeah back in the day. Epic beast mode drywall. Gosh, fantastic hours. We spent yeah. hours on there, and they were so good. Like they were just yeah. like the perfect like inside the bubble, but outside enough. Like, yeah, satirists. Yeah. yeah, satire humor. Yeah, so good. Genius. Blasphemy. So, yeah. <laughs> Made fun of me a few times on there, which was actually quite humorous. Actually, I was like, yeah, that's kind of funny. <laughs> I feel like that's the appropriate response. You know what I mean? Like, as opposed to like excommunication. But. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, hey, it's true. <laughs> Pasty oh, white Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You know what? Maybe if we start getting guests on the show, maybe I can find out who those people are. And oh my gosh. Bring them in. Bring them in. Have them at the third part of the screen here. Just yeah. Just hanging with like a trafficked, blacked out voice iteration oh, yeah. change. Like Edward Snowden, like voice modulator. And yeah. Yeah. Oh man. All right. All right, guys. So today we are going to talk about that was the opener. That was the opener. Good stuff. You know, I think people like when we shoot the shit. But now we're going to like and subscribe. <laughs> subscribe. Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? <laughs> All right, guys. So today we're going to talk about responsibility and fitness. So last time we talked about morality. And we have a responsibility to talk about responsibility and fitness. We do. It's getting meta. It's like WandaVision. TV show about a TV show about a TV show. Keep going. So there's a lot of different aspects to responsibility that we'll eventually discuss. Um, but I thought one of the more interesting ones that we could touch on today is the relationship between what we're capable of and what we are responsible for and how those two play on one another. So let's start off with just basic definition of responsibility. So the state or fact of having a duty to deal with something or of having control over someone. Uh, the opportunity or ability to act independently and make decisions without authorization. That one's more like uh, autonomy, um, but, but it, it, it's related. Um, a thing that is required at, to do as part of a job, role, or legal obligation. So they're all different types of responsibilities, and we'll talk about this below. Like there's moral responsibility, that's one type. There's community, familial, job. Um, some responsibilities, like we talked about last time, depend on the context and the goal. And some responsibilities, like Kant argued about morality, don't have any relationship to your goals or wants or desires. You have an obligation to do it, mm -hmm. full stop, just mm -hmm. end of sentence. Whereas 
Uh, you have no obligation to learn German if you don't have a desire to learn German. So, um, but you do if you want to read Kant in the original. So that, th those are the types of things um, that are going to be relevant considerations when we talk about these in, in more depth. Um, now, when we get to philosophical considerations, there, like I said, are a number of things that we'll talk about eventually. There's free will versus determinism, which I'm sure will be a few episodes probably. Mm -hmm. There's the whole issue of moral luck, which in a nutshell is really the question of, as humans, it's a brute fact that there's a whole slew of things we are not in control of. We are not in control of what happened before we were born. We are not in control of who our parents were. We are not in control of what circumstances come to pass during our lifetime. Um, and while we have some control over what transpires as a result of our action, we are not, we are in direct voluntary control of our intentions, but not what transpires as a result. Mm -hmm. So the question there is like, what responsibility do we have given those facts? Mm -hmm. Just to bring the Kant connection back, because it's super interesting, I think, Kant's whole moral system is really built on the idea that there is and should not be such a thing as moral luck. That, that's a contradiction in terms. Morality, if it is to be about anything, has to be about something that you can be in control of, namely your intentions. And that's why his system is based mm -hmm. around intentions. Um, but typically when we talk about morality or legality, we pair together someone's intentions, but also the outcome, right? That's why there's involuntary manslaughter and first degree murder. So this question of like, how do the outcomes of what you do, even if they're not in your control, bear on what you are responsible for? Mm -hmm. So anyway, super interesting topic. I'm sure we'll get to it, but yeah. um, that's, that's <clears throat> one thing that relates to responsibility. But today's focus- It acts as a base support. Like it, it can't, we can't discuss responsibility without having that as- just preemptively saying that we think it's a base support and, you know, the understanding, where do these things come from, you know, and, uh, and what, what have been the previous past ideas on it? Yeah. And I mean, I guess getting back to something we were discussing before the, um, or just something we were discussing before the call started. Um, I guess we were also discussing human there too. Now that I think about yeah. it. Um, you know, when we, we were talking about the philosopher Hume and how, you know, he famously said of his work, uh, Treatise of Human Nature, that it was born, stillborn from the, from the press, meaning that it just, it didn't gain traction in his lifetime. So, you know, relation, in relation to a lot of the things we've been discussing with fitness, someone can try and strive and do all they want to, you know, have these good intentions to change fitness, but it also depends on the receptivity of the culture and the appropriate time. And so there are these interesting questions around, um, how responsible is someone for something given that a number of those factors that go into that something happening are out of one's control? Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, like or I said, what like, I do day to day, you know, that's my, that's my thing. That's always the stuff that's going on in my head is how much can I control based upon the cultural perception of what fitness is, you know? Well, it's like I was saying pre-call, we just got to die. That's right. Got to wait. Got to wait. And then well, uh, the singularity. Possible. You're not actually waiting, but possibly, yeah. <clears throat> the singularity will bring you back to witness the mm -hmm. transformation. Mm -hmm. But today's focus is mainly going to be around the relationship between capability and responsibility and fitness um, and what type of responsibility, if any, is operative in fitness. And to me, I mean, two of the most interesting philosophical things I've gleaned from you that I think are worth discussing further 
um, this notion of doing fitness because you can, and it's because it's for you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one. And then um, another one being the notion of whether a coach is long-term necessary, whether it just is our responsibility as individuals to engage in fitness because we are capable of it. So I thought it'd be very interesting to discuss how those two relate today. Um, so what are capabilities? Capabilities are just things that we're able to do. Climb a tree, sing a song, you know, do a high five. Um, there are thousands, if not millions of these. I mean, depending on how you, how you parse them up, there are so many things humans are capable of, um, and it's only increased with culture, right? Um, they tend to increase as we age, of course, up until a certain point. And then mm-hmm. they kind of... Are you talking about physical capabilities here? Well, that's one of the things I'm going to distinguish is that there's um, physical is among, but they're also mental, but I'm going to make a distinction eventually between biological and cultural. There's a whole slew of things we were able to do as human beings and kind of animals. And then mm-hmm. culture came along and like philosophy, you know, yeah, uh, roof a house, yeah. uh, create a yeah. podcast, that, that type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I'm glad, I'm glad you're going to, cl- yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, but yeah, we can definitely get into the, I mean, you know, pre-culture, we are physically capable of walking. Post-culture, we are capable of knitting and mm-hmm. writing a book yeah. um, physically. Yeah. Um, those, yeah. So there, there are tons of these. Yeah. Um, responsibilities, on the other hand, are things we are capable of doing. So it has that base level, but they're also things that we have a duty to complete or take care of. So yeah. take the duty care. word is, yeah. The duty is the duty. D-U-T-Y is the D-O-O-T-I-E. <laughs> that, that's the word that I'm stuck on um, for this. So continue, but we got to, that's, that's the word that every time I'm like, oh, you know. I'm going to title one of these. I'm trying to think if we've had a duty in fitness, but if not, I'm going to oh. title D-O-O-D-Y and fitness and then put it out there. I should have said that. Yeah, duty, not that. The duty is the duty. Yeah. And then uh, we'll, we'll see how many likes, comments, shares, and subscribes. <laughs> It'll be a litmus test for humanity. <laughs> we'll, we'll do, you know, we'll do, we'll do an Score A and B test. Zero. <laughs> we'll we'll do an A and B test where we'll release the same episode to some people. They'll see it as D U T Y, and it will fall stillborn from the press, mm-hmm. and then it will be D O T Y. Oh man, good times. Um, but you're right. I think, yeah, the question of uh, duty really comes back to, you know, what are we responsible for and in, in what regard? So taking out the trash is a responsibility, paying taxes is a responsibility, taking care of our community is a responsibility, but those are all responsibilities dot, 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 relative to certain things, taking out the trash if you want to keep your home clean, yeah. uh, paying taxes if you want to be a member of society and don't want to be locked up, taking yeah. care of our community. That starts to veer into the moral, right? Yeah. That, that's a bit more like it's it doesn't matter what yeah. your particular intentions and goals are. Yeah. Um, so there are different types of responsibility. There's, again, what Kant argued would be maybe we should call it absolute responsibility, namely morality, which... Kant argues that applies to you just insofar as you're a rational being, irrespective of your particular wants and desires that you're born with as a child, irrespective of your particular time and circumstance, like 
it is wrong to steal like full stop period not just because you want to be a member of society so on and so forth Mm -hmm. but there are also responsibilities to ourselves and then there are contextual responsibilities like you know job family community um society and there you know there's some community things that may be moral ones and then there are others like you know oh hey we throw a party for billy every may like you know what i mean like that's that's a that's a different type of different type of responsibility yeah if i went if i thought back in time too you know let's say you know a million years ago i'm sure there was still the idea no matter how we languaged a responsibility to the group that we probably learned that we have to have this way of going about communicating and acting amongst one another and we kind of recognized over time whether it was weeks or a number of months that is like oh you know this is what we do oh interesting then now there's this uncommon you know spoken language uh or sorry common spoken unspoken common unspoken language around your responsibility that you have for that group right Um, that's why i thought about as well that today i guess there becomes more ethical um arguments which are good ones you know as to what community means because it's you know uh it's probably not as apparently obvious even without language or scripture you know to to see that in place so yeah and that's an interesting discussion there in and of itself i think we mentioned a bit last time this notion of like on the one hand it's important to you know care as much as you can about those close to you yeah but then there's kind of the flip side of it where um you know, that can veer into nepotism and other not good things. We're like, unless it's in your social group, these people are not worthy of moral concern type things. Yes. Um, So that, you know, but as, as humanity and history have progressed, the uh, moral circle has widened. Yes. um, You know, in a lot of ways to good effect, but also going back to what you were saying, I think last time about people often forget about like, you know, the small CL community and family and those in your near vicinity and, and things like that. So Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I was thinking as you were mentioning that was <clears throat> maybe uh, just the, yeah, maybe it's a language that has not, no, maybe that's not it. I was just thinking maybe it's the language of it. Like, uh, what was to my point, like what was responsibility a million years ago? You know, was there another name for it? What would have been called? And I was trying to think of, you know, the change in that language over time that led to us probably having these occurrences of like, Oh, I don't know what, what I'm responsible for. Like there's actually a, you know, and a good reason for that where people are just lost on that. Like, what am I responsible for, you know, right um, today? So I don't know if it's, maybe we could, uh, do you, do you immediately think of another word or another uh, word that could uh, replace or be next to responsibility as the thesaurus, the, the thesaurus that you are? I mean, aside from... Synonyms of responsibility? Yeah, I mean, aside from duty or ethical consideration, I, I mean, I have a word document on. open right now. Let me... Uh, okay. Let me... Synonyms are list. Uh, Aaron's tasks, account, so accountability... Um, uh, obligation. Yeah. Accountability obligation. Okay. Um, yeah. And I wonder, you know, depending on how far we travel into human history, like to what extent did it just originate in a feeling, right? Uh, you know, just, yeah. this is my clan. These are my people. This is what yeah. I'm supposed to 
that's what I was thinking about, right? Your ancestors just probably realized, right? It's like, oh, geez, you know, nurturing, right? The young one. Um, right. And then them coming up and you're getting older and then you're seeing them like, oh, they're going to have an offspring. You know, it's like, oh, interesting. Maybe this is what it's all about. So whatever we're doing right now that allows us to happen over and over, maybe we have a responsibility to ensure that continues to happen. You know, um, that's where it could have been birthed from. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm sure for a long time with that, it was, you know, pre-conceptual, pre-language, just kind of a, just a feeling. Yep. And that yeah, you know, right. eventually it comes to be articulated and written about and what duties do we have to not just, you know, our immediate family, but to, you know, again, those in our small clan and then group and then society. Yeah. And, yeah things like that yeah so. to maintain uh, um reproduction yeah basically you know just to maintain that continuing uh, action and then of course we fall into trouble today because um there's just so much <laughs> so much information so much technology so much happening that that soul-based support of the reasoning why we're here um there's there's more than that and so now we're a little bit kerfuffled as to what responsibility we do have both to ourselves and collectively. Yeah. You know, um, because there isn't that little tribe with, which is easily observed progeny right in front of you. Like, it's like, this is happening, you know, um, there's just so much more, you know, yeah. uh, vocation, uh, um, labor, um, gosh, porcelain seats where you take a crap. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot, a lot of extra responsibilities. Like you said, to use your analogy, there's thousands and thousands of them, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's it, where the, it was those very, currently, it's currently very important, right? It's currently yeah. very important as a conversation because I think even, uh, uh, especially today, um, the, that's why I tried to find another language too, is that, individual responsibility is is largely a fallback mechanism in a lot of conversation where groups want to take on a um, groups want to take on um, the way that they're observed as being the way that they are observed because um, they're being you know oppressed or uh, not being or being taken advantage of or subjugated, et cetera. And then on the other side, you have, you know, just people who will fall back on, well, you have an individual responsibility to like bootstrap this yourself and, right. you know, you know, figure shit out. And so, but, but in, in my opinion, just for the generalized context, I just laid that that's a pretty poor argument for the reality of what is happening here. Right. Oh, it's very, it's very easy to see why there's uh, what I believe anyway, is a really important conversation in what does, when you say you are responsible as an individual to grow your mind, physically express yourself as much as possible, you know, uh, and then have some kind of uh, search into what you're going to call your moral landscape for your life. Um, you know, what, how, how does that work into the collective when maybe you don't have that repertoire, maybe you've been, you haven't been given the tools 
to do that. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and we don't control that. I, I wasn't born, you know, I didn't decide upon being born in that situation. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's why it's a good conversation, I think. And it's good that I love, I love the fact that uh, fitness is somehow, cause I'm always looking for, you know, relevant current topics today that are really good, right. On the individual responsibility versus the collective, you know, um, which generally goes into camps, you know, um, right. you know, of a political ideology, right. Conservative, liberal, or, you know, true liberal, classic liberal versus a conservative thought. Um, and I love how fitness can like fall in here to discuss it. So, yeah. No, it's a cool connection. I mean, yeah, going back to, I mean, going back to that topic of moral luck, which is probably one of my favorite topics to discuss in philosophy. That's exactly what you were just outlining is, you know, there it's, it's a brute fact that no matter what spectrum of the ideology you sit on, some people are born to parents who can automatically and easily afford college. And some people are born to parents who have never attended college and don't have that kind of money. That's just a fact. Like there is, there's no That's denying right. that, arguing about that. Then we have a question, what do we do <laughs> as a society about that? And as you said, there's one side that says, well, bootstraps, individual responsibility. Uh, and then there's the other side. Well, you know, if I have to, you know, run a marathon and, you know, one contestant is starting at, you know, the half mile mark and the other is starting a half mile back from zero, uh -huh. uh, you know? So yeah, that, that's absolutely relevant consideration. And there's, and this is where it gets uncomfortable too, is the, the, the truth around measurement of IQ or cognitive repertoires. And then what collectively we have a society of responsibility of that understanding to your point, let's just say that I'm not saying those two are together where you're born to parents who don't have the opportunity to afford college. Right. But you could say then that let's take there's there's generations of that. There's like five generations of it where that particular offspring and then individuals that uh, never really had the chance to, let's just say, whatever it is for multiple different reasons, had an opportunity for, you know, more education. And now we're seven generations removed from that. And our expectation is, oh, you know, uh, every human that's born, we all have this cognitive capability. We all have this capability to somehow, if you read that book and if you, if you do that work, you will eventually get there, you know, therefore this is where individual responsibility falls into that. Right. Um, and I'm just making the argument to say that, you know, I think what also has to be discussed in there is just us being okay with the fact that there's a continuum of cognitive repertoires in humans. And we can't, you know, again, to your point of creating a fact, I, I don't, I'm not, not disregarding that, that there's some people that will just, you know, have whatever that is inside of them. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a genetic characteristic, Robbie, you know, maybe, maybe there's something in there that is, uh, um, you know, I'm trying to make it, you know, sound real simple, but, uh, um, <laughs> uh, what's it called? I did I call it bootstrapping, but I guess I should call it like, you know, an individual responsibility gene, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you just got it. It's just inside of you. And so I think that needs to be, you know, in conversation too, of uh, passing that on and, and, uh, and uh, some people just may not have that. So, th so therein lies the, again, another conversation on, well, what responsibility do we have if we accept that as fact, right? right. Um, and in my opinion, personal opinion, I respect that as a fact. Therefore, I can't only use 
individual responsibility as the main generalized prescription that I think everyone should partake in. Yeah. And I just I can't get there. Yeah. No, I, I would, yeah, personal opinion. I, I would agree. And I think um, that that is in, in these conversations in political philosophy with um, people like Rawls and Nozick, um, who we've mentioned briefly before, um, you know, we cannot change someone's now, you know, there are certain aspects of cognitive capacity that are malleable and there are certain aspects that are not. We can't change someone's height. We cannot change someone's genetic capacity for strength, um, their eye color. There's, you know what I mean? There's, there's a whole slew of things about you that we cannot, not you, but like anyone that we, can, we cannot uh, change. And then the question becomes as a society, what responsibility do we have um, to, you know, and really the most charitable version of this is something like, we want to provide equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome. And this is this is where you know people on the other side will say, well, you know, not everyone's going to be Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, not everyone's going to be Bill Gates, but yeah. that doesn't mean that we don't at least provide the opportunity for people to learn and develop those characteristics, right? Exactly, or accessibility to learn in those. Yes, but it always falls hard to use your example of cognitive repertoires and what my belief is in terms of brain function, because I just do believe that there's a whole continuum of thousands of humans that no matter what you want to teach them in grade three, four, five, six, their brains will never get it, right? They just will not get it, right? Um, But that doesn't mean that they won't have accessibility to trying to raise their relative potential, right? Relative potential of cognitive repertoires. And that's to your point of like Bill Gates, whatever, that's an absolutism, you know, idea in what people can achieve. We all have this capability and you can too. Read these books and discover the cosmos and get into uh, um, you know, microprocessing units <laughs> and, uh, and you can get there too. No, I, I'm just saying we gotta be okay with it that not everyone will have that absolute capability. But to your point, it doesn't mean we shouldn't charitably strive for accessibility and allow everyone to work after the relative potential of those cognitive repertoires. Yeah. Yeah. And to give people accessibility to be able to, you know, learn things and eventually provide for themselves and not just say, well, you know what, you are the, you know, fifth generation to never have, you know, gone to high school or college or something like that and just figure it out. Yeah. You know, but society is tough for that. Yeah. Society is tough for that. You know, as an example, we discussed this all the time with Hannah, who was born in July, July but the uh, the school age that's that's like uh, that's like end of December for Canadian schools. If I'm making sense for school age, so she went into the August school age, you know. So she would be the oldest in a lot of her, you know. Anyways, you play that whole game based upon you know this whole conversation that let's just assume that. You know, that is the case. My point of the cognitive repertoire difference is based upon development and et cetera. And we just accept that to be, but society doesn't offer opportunity for that because it's a societal norm that you can't have a 14 year old in a, in a, in a grade five class scenario. It's not accepted, right? It, it, it is accepted that these are the stepwise progression things that you have to be able to adapt and learn and overcome and, and get to. Um, so there's multiple examples where just maybe it's just not set up that way. And here on the other side of it, 
We even have, you know, classifications of people with cognitive repertoires that are, I would call, like even on the autistic spectrum to be superhuman in capability, right? Or even suprahuman capability, but they could be classified as being differentiated amongst the cognitive repertoires of others to be a state that's not a normality. And I, this is another, you know, area that's, it's kind of wacky actually, where you can't, or you're seen as, you know, as that, um, your grade five age, uh, um, and you know, you really are thinking about things that are so abstract and, and, uh, and, logical and you know and with with deep reasoning of of a mind of a 27 year old right but so where does that put you in your learning progression right uh for that so anyways i just thought about those two areas of you know um back to the cognitive capability areas as to society doesn't allow a nice real nice you know progression of that and it also doesn't mean i think you fall into just like you know, homeschooling with trees and falling out of a tree and et cetera. Um, I'm not calling you. Um, Sorry, I turned off notifications. Yeah. No, you, you don't fall. You don't fall into like, you know, well, we just got to we just got to recognize that the, the public school system for most individuals is not set up to do that. So we just allow everyone just to float through. No, you still have to have some kind of standards, you know, um, you know, but still anyways. Sorry to be lengthy on that one, but that that's oh, no, it's, obviously it's, something that's near and dear to me. I see my children going through school and I think about these things a lot. Yeah. No, I mean it it's it's like I said, when I when I used to teach philosophy and even still like moral luck is probably one of my favorite topics. And I mean, not to take us too far afield, I'll I'll bring us right back after I mention this, but um, you know, even take something like birth order. Mm-hmm. You know, you have literally the exact, you know, conceptually do a philosophical thought experiment. We have the exact same brain, the exact same person, but instead of being firstborn, now they're the middle child. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. you don't choose the order and know the order doesn't fully, you know, it's not sufficient to determine your life, but I, I think anyone who has any experience with humans will recognize the fact that there is a significance to birth order in terms yep. of you know, uh, responsibility or risk taking and all these different things that make us who we are. Mm -hmm. And yet that is not something we are in uh, control of. And again, we get back to this question of like, well, we've got a whole slew of people with different, you know, capacities and birth orders and, you know, um, family histories and whatnot. Like, so what, what is our responsibility as a culture and a society to try and, um, make it so that people have a baseline opportunity to pursue the things they want in life? Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. That, yeah. I love the, I love the, uh, cause I did some more studies on that of, uh, in utero testosterone dosing, uh, to the placenta based upon birth order. It's mind blowing. That'll connect you to like how that's dosed and how it's differently dosed and how they've seen that in differences in brain development, different in, uh, sex morphology, morphology, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's fascinating. Um, and I should just mention, a really good clinical psychologist or a really good functional medicine practitioner will ask you those questions on an intake. They want to get to know exactly the, what makes up the entire thing here, you know, uh, that's predetermined. Um, I just find that, uh, yeah, I guess like you have taken it down. There's lots of great conversations uh, to be had inside of that. Yeah. Super interesting topic. Yeah. So 
probably the one of the main things we're going to discuss today in, in relation to this notion of you know do bit fitness because you can is is this um question of the relationship between capability and responsibility so again just going back to this notion of a brute fact it's a brute fact that we are capable of thousands if not millions of things uh, but we were only responsible for a subset of those things we're not yeah. we're not responsible for uh, all of those things. So they do seem to have some relationship to one another, but they're not the same. So if we talk about pre-civilization capacities, which aren't quite coextensive with just the physical, but I would say that they're pretty close. So things like hunting, walking, swimming, cooking our own food, going to the bathroom, um, having sex for both sexes, or, you know, in the case of women being able to give birth. And then there's a whole slew of, um, capabilities that we acquired with civilization. Well, and that's the interesting thing that we've always had, right? Bi biologically speaking, but yeah. that we then became, that were then developed and we became aware of. So yeah. building houses, writing computer code, flying planes, filming movies, reading and, and, and writing. Um, so, you know, our lives would be impossible if we were responsible for doing all the things we are capable of doing mm -hmm. that, that can't be right. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting question. What among the things that we are capable of are we responsible for? And what, what's unique about fitness that would make it such a thing where, um, you know, because we're capable of it, that should be something that we cultivate. And I think there's an interesting discussion there relating to, you know, our biology or who we are as humans. So I guess we can even open that up there and see if, see if you have thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. The thoughts I have on it are none that I, none different in the past where, I, I keep thinking on, um, you know, what the, the lack of conversation around what we are actually potentially capable of, right? Whatever, whatever we're potentially capable of. And therefore, knowing that to be true, uh, then what responsibility do we have if we know, if we know, <laughs> that that is true, what responsibility do we have to partake in that which we're capable of doing? This is where, you know, this, this, I'm saying the same thing a different way and what I proposed in do it because you can't do it for you. Well, the, the responsibility you have in, and I'll just stop after that to see if we want to move in a different direction, is that if I was to tell you that, you know, uh, we all have a a relative potential from cradle to grave of physical expression that continue keeps you just under your maximum potential, but, but keeps moving you up that way biologically over time. And then you keep hanging on over a long period of time and that participation and the consistent, consistent participation of it. Um, why aren't you doing it? If you know that you're capable of it, if you know that it actually can be. And I think that it brings in the conversation again on absolute versus relativism, right? And I'm saying every person has a relative level of maximum potential and don't get caught up in what we're considering standards, like absolute standards for that potential. But uh, I think that people have an individual responsibility to go after what we, we know to be true now is that every human generally has a physical potential inside of them. And I think to make it, to make it short, I think that we're, it's almost like the, uh, the brain conversation that people talk about, right? We're not using a big portion of our brain. 
Um, I think that a lot of people don't get to experience maybe because of choice or decision-making on their own, or because like you said earlier, we're just innately want to be lazy. Um, and of course, pushing up against the fact that we don't really need to do it. Um, we're like 20% of the, of the hundred percent, you know, if I'm saying that I, I want humans just to be clear, I, I want you to get to, so athletes in mixed model example from 20 to 30, I would argue they get to 102% of their max potential. They go beyond what they're actually capable of doing. Right. And we know how that 2%, we sell that shit like mad, right? This is it. This is an enlightenment and <laughs> you're going to levitate if you get to here. Um, I know it cause I've sold that before, but what I'm saying is that I want you trying to get to 95 to 97 all the time, constantly like tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, over and over and over. And I really do think as a general thing, most people are okay with 20%. We're okay with 20%. So herein lies the question, what responsibility do you have knowing you're leaving 75% on the table? That's, that's the, you know, is this, a, is this an individual responsibility for someone to partake in? To my point being that we know this to be true. <laughs> and maybe if we want to go there, Robbie, like how, how do we, how do we get to know this to be true? Uh, but I think you preempted it, you know, biological experiences, you know, pre-civilization, right? Civilization, technology, infrastructure, machines, you know, that's all helped it. And what has it helped us do? It helped us go from experience, maybe 70% of our physical maximum just to survive down to being at 20% of our physical maximum potential. And being okay with that. Yet we really do know, I think that, uh, uh, so I think the, yeah, so I think that the, everyone has, well, I think that everyone has an individual responsibility once they become aware of the fact that they have this potential. And as far as why you do it, well, we can get into you know, I think we talked about that before, you know, the, the why behind it. Okay. So that's my yeah. initial thoughts on that. So, yeah, I have, I have two follow-up thoughts on that and just questions. I, I think we're onto something here, but just trying to get clarification. So, you know, one would be trying to do the, the asymmetry between, you know, we're obviously capable of painting or building a house or flying a plane, but there's no like responsibility there, right. To, to mm -hmm. do those things. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's one part of the question is, you know, what makes fitness unique there? And I think we're tapping into maybe something, you know, biological humans as humans, evolutionary history, you know, part of what makes us who we are, that, that type thing. And then there's the second question, which is something you've also said that I'm, I'm curious how this relates. There are definitely things in fitness that, you know, uh, we've said to the extent that even if you can do it, maybe you shouldn't do it, you know, snatching, clean and jerking. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on um, what are the things that if we can, we should, like, is it just, you know, is yeah. it the um, yeah. aerobic capacity and resistance like we've talked about? Yeah. There are other things that we can, but we shouldn't necessarily. Yeah. yeah. That's, a simple that's a simple clarification. Um, Cause I wrote it down here. It's, it's uh 
whatever you partake in, snatches or bicep curls, um, that which allows a long, prosperous, meaningful life with consistency. So, so modalities, what should we do? What, what is that? Again, to hash exactly what it looks like. Resistance training, controlled resistance training, easy aerobic work, press repeat, don't stop. And man, it's, it's lengthy to talk about why those two in buckets, but that's what you should do. Now, inside of slow resistance training is not snatches, burpee, and I could go on and on about what function is, right? right. And, and again, I could go on and on about what, why the haters are about that too, right? Is literally, that's not creative, that's not sexy. You just haven't done it enough. You know, that's the real reason for it. Um, and a bunch of other reasons. But so that's what I would say are, are those things that um, you have a responsibility. I wrote down, you have a responsibility to go after your max physical potential in your lifetime. Bracket that which allows a long, prosperous, meaningful life with consistency. So even whatever you partake in, like snatches, okay, go ahead. Let's talk in 15 years about your shoulder. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so, so that is a recognition. Although it took 15 years, that's a recognition that what you had in place as the resistance aspect, right, uh, was shown to be not the best method of maintaining a healthy shoulder for the rest of your life. Because my caveat was, my de definition of it was that which allows a long, prosperous, meaningful life with consistency. If you're off for six months with shoulder surgery, that's not consistent. Therefore, you need to write in your manual and tell others about it. You probably shouldn't participate in snatches for 15 years of your life at this point in time if these are your intentions. And so what I'm saying is that there's been a million stories of that already written, already done. And guess what the characteristics are? Slow resistance, easy aerobic work, press repeat, done. You know, almost like con period. <laughs> no, no more after that. <laughs> And then, and then, of course, there is good, let's call it, because you and I are talked about this earlier, there's open debate for the tennis match, right? Throw things across. How about this? Good question, you know? Uh, how about this? Good question. And I always have uh, time, uh, not for today, but I always have time to discuss the intentions behind the modalities that you propose to be better than slow resistance and easy aerobic work. Okay, so it's, we should, because we can and but in particular it's with relation to you know we should do it insofar as it leads to a healthy happy consistent life yeah yeah it leads you to be able to continue to do it right okay um and then as far as the question of like there's whole slews of things that we have zero responsibility for even though we are capable of i have no responsibility to write code i have no responsibility yeah. to learn philosophy those are all cool things that I can do. DJ yeah. skydive. Yeah. Um, maybe just chatting a bit more about, you know, cause I have intuitions on this, but just diving a bit deeper. What is it about fitness? Is it that it's just so intrinsically linked to who we are as humans, just, you know, locomotion and, and movement yeah. and such a part of our evolutionary history that that is something that we have a responsibility to cultivate rather than outsource. Yes. A coach or something. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, well, so I mean, I guess the question there would be why. So why is that? 
Oh. Why, why is fitness? So, are you, so you're saying yes to what I, the way I characterized it as the yes. reason. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Okay. Um, if you want to re-clarify that again, just to make sure everyone got it, then yeah, it's, it's, you know, locomotion, uh, we'll use the four, uh, things I use locomotion, resilience, perception, um, and cognition, right? We we've observed those to be, to be things that we just do, we do. <laughs> and, and I guess, you know, it's always the question, well, what is the practice for us to do that? My, my answer to that is that it is folly. I clearly state that from the front, right? Like, it's folly and it's a diversion possibly from other things that you could be doing in your day, but it is our social uh, constructed method of doing these things that for millions of years has led us to continue to evolve effectively. And what is inside of that, it's not much different than you know ad adaptation and, and locomotion in the physical sense. Adaptation meaning, oh, there's a physical challenge. Interesting, how do I overcome that? How do I know if I'm overcoming it effectively? Well, you should overcoming it, overcoming it so that you can repeat it. Interesting, interesting. I have these natural adaptation processes where with 52, I'm not adapting like I did before. Then what do you do about this? Resources are lowering, you need to hang on for as long. So this, this is a story that's been you know, built ad nauseum. Um, so yeah, so that, that's where I, that's, that's the, uh, I use, I use the, um, yeah. And again, I, what we talked about earlier on the call, Robbie, it's, 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 it's sad, but it's also kind of interesting that we're in this period of time, right? Like I would love it 80 years down the road where this, this conversation has been discussed more than just exercised by Daniel Lieberman and maybe 10 other minds, you know, uh, you and I and him and seven others somewhere, um, that it's, it, you know, people say the same thing. They're just like, listen, this is this whole like machines at the YMCA and walking every second day, it's all folly, but let's get on with it because it leads to all these really positive things. That's it. You know, we, we need to be, you know, and again, this comes back to the member of the farmer versus the unaware autonomous individuals last time, right? It's like, just, just get on with it. And so again, I think it, to re-language it to make sure I'm clear, you have a responsibility knowing those things. I think you do. I think you have a responsibility knowing those things. I think where it does get kind of interesting is uh, how you can try to try to seep in collective responsibilities, you know, where collectively and ethically the outcomes are higher order, meaning like it leads to an upgrade of humanity and it leads to an upgrade of your family and it leads to an upgrade of community. And if it leads to an upgrade of whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, and if we know that to be true, i.e. you exercise your whole life, you've done it for seven generations and all your people have done it. You've farmed your own land, you know, your food and you've, you know, said your prayers and you acted kindly in your community. And this all led to quote unquote, better morality or the language is not good on that. Better cognitive function, community growth, adaptation. Like it led to that. 
that's a sign that all those things that you partake were partaking in was a collective positive, you know, responsibility that you've discovered, right? It's like, listen, it's really important. You have a responsibility. So maybe in the futures, you know, uh, parents can say to their kids, it's your responsibility over time to learn how to take care of yourself with good food and physical expression because of this, because we've seen after hundreds of years that by us participating in this physical expression, you know, and basically keeping, keeping doing this, it leads to like great decision-making, you know, uh, long, great debate and conversation, you know, it leads to all these things. And again, what we talked about earlier, it leads to maybe an increase in relative potential of those humans who even have lower cognitive repertoires. How about that? Right? Like, that's a big one that we don't want to discuss about. Instead, we just want to slap some fast track model on that. Um, so I think, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think is the, is the, the secondary one is not just individual responsibility, but individual responsibility that leads to collective and ethical outcomes that are higher order. Yeah, individual responsibility that leads to collective and ethical outcomes that are higher order. Higher order assuming, obviously there's an upgrade in the entire system. There's a lot in there, but. You don't know this yet, but going back to one of the points you were making, um this podcast will actually be, you were saying like, you know, seeing what things are like a hundred years from now, this podcast will actually be the call to prayer in 2121. <laughs> it will just be every day, just on a loop. <laughs> we can't see it now. <laughs> no, right now, we're in the Ro- <laughs> right now we're in the Rob. It'll Wolf be the sounds in the morning. <laughs> It'll just play. <laughs> it's folly, but do it anyway. That's what's yep. going to be playing. Cars right now that'll float Rob- and they'll have this little sound thing off the top of it running around the communities. <laughs> right now we have a responsibility. <laughs> we know this. Our ancestors did this. <laughs> Children will be able to recite lines from this podcast. <laughs> Oh, that's kind of dystopic at the same. Maybe we should just put it into a book and wrap this sucker up. Right now we're at the uh, early days of the Rob Wolf Paleo Solution podcast. You know, seven listeners can't be wrong, but I'm telling you, 2121, <laughs> it's going to be the call to prayer. Call it something different then. <laughs> yeah, call it, yeah, definitely call it something different. But getting back to the more serious stuff, I know I, I think you make a number of good points, which actually leads me to something that I, I wanted to ask you about. So you were saying, look, you know, to what extent do we have a responsibility to cultivate this, not just for ourselves, but to the extent it upgrades society. So I, I do have a question that relates that relates to one of the other things we've talked about, you know, whether long-term there should be a coach and, you know, yeah. uh, who's, yeah. who's coaching fitness and to what extent do we uh, cultivate this ourselves? Um, when you think about it from a historical perspective, you know, there's kind of the Steven Pinker stuff we've been talking about where, you know, society on on some level seems to be getting better according to a number of metrics, although on the health and fitness side, clearly not so much, but Mm -hmm. one of the factors that has led to societal cognitive improvement and literacy is the outsourcing of different tasks. Yes. We are not all hunters. We are not all farmers. Mm -hmm. So but then it, it gets tricky based on what we've discussed because well, I get a f- define adaptation on that particular point, but I do agree that we have outsourced a bunch. Yeah. And there's a whole lot that, you know, 
you know, would we say about hunting that, you know, the same thing that we would say about fitness, that we have a responsibility to, to hunt since that was such a part of our biology. I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. Like yeah, it is. How, how much yeah. of these things that were once a part of our lives as pre civilization, human beings are still responsibilities of ours to cultivate today. Yeah. Um, because part of the reason we're even able to do what we're doing right now or read yes. books or talk things is because yeah. we're not doing those things. So yeah. I, I do think there's um, a really interesting question in the, the fitness realm and the health and fitness realm where, it, you know, on one side, it's certainly true that there's a whole slew of things that no one else can do for you. No, no one can be healthy for you. No one can, you know, currently barring any crazy technology upgrade you know, no one can eat healthy food for you. No one can do bicep curls for you. No one can go to sleep for you. Um, so there, those are things that you all still have to do on your own. But today we can hire nutrition coaches. We can hire fitness coaches. We can hire, we can buy workout equipment. We can electrically we can stimulate. Exactly. Yeah. We can get a complex or the red dots. Um, we all hire people to hunt and farm for us. Um, is that wrong? Is it nefarious? what things do we have responsibility for? So I, I often, I wonder about that. I wonder yeah. if we have responsibility to cultivate fitness, do we have responsibility to hunt? Um, do we have a responsibility to do any of these other pre-civilization things? So I, don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts there. Yeah, just my thought was that I think, I think we, I think there are two different categories, but I think we have a responsibility to understand the outsourcing based upon advances in technology and information and, and just society. Yeah. I think that's what we have responsibility for is the understanding right? Like again, like the fitness point. Okay. <laughs> you don't need to exercise, get on with it, <laughs> you know, like get over it. Um, <laughs> yeah, just get over it. So it's the same thing. You make a good point is I, th I think, I think people should spend definitely more time on your point, right? Like just sit back and think about that for a while, right? Like, and I made this on a conversation the other day on our CCP call around, the density of nutrition and the work that was required to get dense cows. Like you had to work hard physically to get dense calories. Six, seven, 8,000 years ago, 11,000 years ago, right? Like you had to work, like really work. I don't even people think, you know, you understand what I mean by that. And today, this is, you ready? This is how I have to work, how hard I need to work for it. Boop. That's how hard I need to work for dense calories, right? So this is, the, that's, that's the, again, so let's get over the fact that this is real and get on with it. So you have no responsibility about the topic. You have a responsibility of the awareness to accept what is current. Like you have, an, you have to understand that. It also doesn't mean that you have to accept this and forget about that because those are biological imprints that we have to recognize for today. So if you decide to have a 42 ounce steak with a push of a button, you need to go, isn't this interesting? Like, what did I do to get this, right? So you shouldn't have a plethora of books and shit written about complaints of overeating and gluttony and, and fatness when you're like, dude, you did nothing for that, right? You did nothing for that. So I think that, that you have a responsibility to gain the knowledge around that. That's what I would say to, to using the, you know, to uh, modernity, getting on with what's modern. This is modern. Hey, modern times, people will be people. <laughs> people, people are going to people. People are going to people. People are going to people. I like, yeah, that's even better.
So I, I, I like what you said. I, I agree. But then I, so I have a follow-up question because again, this is something I wonder about. So if it's not nefarious or unethical or irresponsible for us to hire someone to hunt and farm for us, among other things that we do in today, um, why would it be, and you know, we have to pick the right adjective here, maybe nefarious or wrong or irresponsible. No, I, 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 I get where you're going. But um, why would it be similar or why, why would it be problematic either today or long-term for someone to um, outsource what they do fitness-wise to a coach? Why would it be, can you, can you ask that? Yeah, so let, let, let me try it again. So basically what I'm saying is if, if we're saying, look, your, your responsibility today is to know like, we're not, we're not saying that you necessarily need to go out and hunt for yourself. We're saying it's okay in the modern world for you to, you know, hire other people to do that for you and to farm. And, you know, as part of modern society, you just need to be aware that, hey, when you're getting a ribeye steak, like someone else is going out and doing yeah. that for you. Yeah. Um, but we don't personally have an individual responsibility to go out and hunt for ourselves. But it seems like we do have an individual responsibility in the case of fitness to cultivate this for ourselves. And what I'm asking is, what is the asymmetry between that and hunting or that and something else where it's problematic or potentially problematic, as you've said in the past, in the ideal for someone to outsource this to someone else? What is unique yeah. about fitness yeah. that makes it such that we should be doing this ourselves? Yeah, I think it's because of current times. Uh, I think it's, uh, uh, it's going to take, you know, I used our, what we talked about earlier, it may take 80 years for it to be common knowledge that we have got past this point of the folly, holy cow, you know, and then 40 years later, it's like, Hey, we're all, you know, we all know this now. Um, and, and we've been put through this coach trainer or coach client thing. And it, hopefully in 80 years, we'll look back and go, can you believe that? Like people were actually taught, like you should sleep eight hours, make sure you measure that. Don't forget to push next, you know, like people were like, they'll be laughing, right. You know, sipping, whatever, as the music goes on with my podcast during the day, they're like, <laughs> remember those times. Um, I think it's just where we are in time. It takes, it takes competency and education, right? And it takes a teaching and learning process to get to what you just mentioned is an individual responsibility of awareness that you can do this for yourself. So I think it's just, a, it's a, uh, and I hope I, hope I answered your question. It's a process. It's like we're like in the interim of that, right? So what we have in place now, a coach and a client, is there to move us past this like previous embedded thing of physicality to like, what the hell is this? We're lazy. And so therefore we need these motivating factors by another human to kind of participate to over time. It's like, oh yeah, we know we knew this. We knew this all along, you know, but we had to partake in this hopefully 80 year experiment, you know, um, to, to get to the point where, you know, it's, it's taught in public schools. It's like, well, well accepted. It's, you know, it's common knowledge, right? Lots of research goes on where they over years and years and years, they look back and go, interesting, you know, these, these few folks who talked about these things and did this consistent regime of broccoli and resistance and aerobic activity, you know, they, they uh, did pretty good. They did pretty good, you know. What's you know, you know, instances of diseases and stuff that's uh, that uh, what we defined as like immune system function, you know, or maybe in 40 years, right? You know, I don't want to make it sound 
too crazily in thinking maybe in 40 years there's a massive virus that the biggest factor is your resilience and immune system strength, which we, we discover way long over time is largely due to resistance one day, aerobic activity the next, broccoli, and et cetera, you know? Um, yeah, so I think it's, a, it's it, we're in the, when I speak about those things, Robbie, which is, which is what, it's good that you question it, it's like a futuristic concept of, of that. And we're just in the interim of coach client coach client is the current medium yeah. to move towards that. Yeah. And that I, that I understand and agree with, uh, I guess to take, you know, so let's say it's 80 years or hundred years. Like we've, yeah. we've, we've teleported there in time and we're now in this future ideal state. The same way today, there are people who choose to hunt on their own and go out and do it. And yeah. then there's the vast majority of people who choose not to and hire someone to hunt or fish or grow for them. Assume we're 80 or hundred years in the future and we have the education. People know that they can do this for themselves. And yet, even after that, they say, I would like to hire for myself. I would like to outsource this to someone else. I would like someone else to yeah. program for yeah. me. Do yeah. you see that as problematic or nefarious? Um, and if so, why? Yeah, well, I'm assuming it won't happen. And there'll be a very, very few humans who will actually ask that for two things. It won't be accessible because it'll be accepted that that's just what you do, you know? And I know it's it's like uh, um, Nick Bostrom talks about in Superintelligence. There's some concepts or things that we can't even discuss because we don't have the brain and cognitive ability to actually think about those concepts. So when I mention this, that's what I mean. It, it seems impossible, but I do think at that time, no one will even ask for it. So it won't even look nefarious because it's not a well-accepted thing. It'll just be like in the, it'll be, it'll be inside. It'll be blended in. Right. And it's very easy for me to say that because it's, it's a utopic concept, but that's why, that's why I can't, that's why I, I won't won't perceive it as being nefarious uh, because it won't be asked. Now, I apologize that that seems like I'm I'm working away from the question. No, 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 no. That's no, that's no, that's uh, not a problem. No, I, I guess it it yeah. I guess it really does. I, I and I, I see what you're saying. I mean, for me, it, it may come down ultimately to, and this could be an episode at some point. Fundamentally different conceptions of human nature disagreements about where these things lie. For me, the issue today, and you know, I could be wrong. I'm very early on in my coaching journey relative to you and many others. So I could be completely wrong. To me, the main obstacle today to people being healthy and fit has something to do with knowledge, but boy, is that like a minority percentage of it to me? I think it has to do with all sorts of habits and the fact that unless there's some massive change in culture, temptation with food or laziness isn't going away. Mm -hmm. So it's not the knowledge of, hey, I should be doing resistance training and aerobic stuff or I should be eating broccoli. Like to a large degree, people have some knowledge that they should be drinking water and doing these things. It's more, holy shit, every time I drive home, I'm seeing, you know, eight KFCs and all these. So there's all these temptations that make it from an evolutionary perspective where we have these temptations very hard to instantiate the things that we want to instantiate. And my personal belief, and again, I could be wrong, is that unless 
there's some massive change in human nature, there will be um, some need, not just for someone to impart knowledge, but to help someone not be a lawyer who represent, represents themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, I would agree with uh, uh, what you're seeing. Um, and I would, I would offer a framework of understanding so I can tie in what I just previously said on it being a process. I would agree with you. I, I, I think it's actually a fact that most are in that category of what I call blind, right? So, so blind, and how do you create change in that? And the way you create change in it, just so I don't fall into the camp of being like, ho-hum, people have to make all these decisions after they leave the gym as to what I just taught them, right? And I'm being honest with that. That's how I think is like, oh, poor you. You got to make some tough decisions, right? Um, and I don't want to sound like I'm being dishonest when I just like walk through that because that's the way I think. You're blind to it. So how do you improve being blind? You have to be partaking in something that makes you more aware of it. So you have to continuously meet with Robbie. So every time you leave, you see the Big Mac and the fucking shit and 37 other influencing. And you're like, ha, 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 that's what Robbie said, right? Look at that. Oh, now look at my thoughts. Oh, interesting. You know, like, oh, gluten. Yeah, that's what it does to me. Like, this is called the building of awareness, right? So my point, I'm tying in, that takes a coach client for many, many years, right? Ad nauseum. <laughs> to reproduce people who become critical thinkers right out of the womb, right? They, they're like, ah, we, we got that, you know, we got that. Um, and uh, we, another time we can talk about the mass, you know, propaganda push for current young people today, which is the whole other concept of not allowing them to see like what they're capable of for self-care and et cetera. But you move someone to, you move that group in that processing from blind to aware. And to your point, I agree, what's after awareness? It's knowledge, right? Knowledge. And what's after knowledge? It's embodying. It's embodiment. The embodiment is the autonomy level of a client. Like they have taken on all these things that Robbie taught them in three, five, hopefully six years max. And it's them. So now they're driving home, they see the Big Macs, whatever, and they got a little kid they go, you see how that food on the aisle is at eye level? Let me tell you why it's at eye level. Do you see that? That little bit of information is, has come from their numerous meetings with you because they moved from being blind to more aware to having knowledge to now using that knowledge to embody the autonomous, physically sovereign individual. So it's a time process, I think, right? And so I'm agreeing with you. Yep. Today, that's the current thing. You know, I use percentages of it. 90% of every human that comes into the fitness landscape is blind. They're blind. But what do we try to do? We try to make them more aware, right? And just use the word because it's timely. I think that's our responsibility as a coach. That's our responsibility to move people from blindness to awareness and then awareness to knowledge. And when they start knowing and they come back, you know, three years later, and they're like, yeah, yesterday, this is what happened. I saw the Big Mac, and I saw the news, and my daughter said when she came home, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm seeing this, Robbie. All this stuff you talked about three years ago, I couldn't see, but now I'm seeing it, right? And when they're at that level, 
they are now they are now on their way of you just being like soon enough i'm gonna kick you out of here because you're gonna own this shit right and you're gonna teach others and you're gonna spread it um and and have have a strong pull-up oriented kids who can cross-country skate yeah, no, I know. I agree there. And that, I mean, that was, those were some other questions I had about like, you know, hiring a short-term coach versus a long-term coach. And I think we're both in agreement on that, guiding them towards autonomy. Um, and I, you know, I think we're also both in agreement on the idea that a lot of what's nefarious today is someone arguing that someone needs a coach in the sense of like, they could not do this for themselves without a coach for the rest of their lives. But it, but if we both agree on that, it, it you know, it, it's still an interesting question to me, both today, but also in the long term, say a hundred years from now. What are the things that we can outsource, and what are the things we can outsource, and why versus why not? That 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 is an interesting asymmetry with fitness, right? We are saying that fitness, unlike roof building, unlike a DJ at your party, unlike photography, unlike fencing, unlike any other human activity or lots of other human activities you can think of where someone else could do something for you. It is something that you should cultivate yourself and be responsible for. So I I think that's an interesting. It is. And it takes time. It takes time based upon the current culture. Yeah. I mean, I think home building was a skill that took, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, honestly, to let's call it perfected based upon our perception. Right. Right. So, I mean, maybe self-care based upon the changes that were impeding after 1910, you know, or 1870, whatever, uh, with machines and industrialization, et cetera, um, and changes in, in agriculture, right? And food sourcing and overpopulation, et cetera. You know, that's only been 150 years. You know, that's not a lot of time to learn the skill of self-care. So what do we have in the medium? You know, we have people like myself and you who are trying to act as role models of coaches that say, this is your duty and responsibility to teach us about these things that we know to be true in fitness and physical expression that leads to, you know, them. And like I tell coaches at CCP all the time, you know, this whole, this whole journey of that for autonomy and the concept of it as a whole generalized for most people will outlive you. You will die and the process will still be working. <laughs> you know, it'll still be working to around, well, what is right? What is right in physical expression? And what is right in, in uh, information that you wanna put inside your body, right? That's gonna outlive you. And that's a, that's, a, that's a hard statement to hear, but it gets people inspired. They're like, well, <laughs> let's fucking do this thing. Let's fucking do as much as I can while I'm here, right? And push the idea like you, you were doing with those questions of like, well, what do we do with what we have to deal with? You know what we do? We fucking get over it and just say, yeah, <laughs> but, but um, it's my duty to hold the standard that you will learn shit when you come in here because we're on this stepwise progression to go from blind to aware to knowledge to embodiment. Yeah. And, and we're, you know, and coaches are currently in place to do that. That's why I, that's why it's again, like Bostrom's idea. The concept is so hard to think about. No coaches, dissolving coaches, right? Um, And that has to be our, that has to be our overarching process. Um, Now, I think another interesting question, which we may not want to carry is that 
what what responsibility do you and I and all coaches currently today have uh, towards that movement? What responsibility do we have to move towards dissolving the coaching complex? If the outcomes of dissolving the coaching complex results in everyone understanding self-care out of the womb, do you know what I mean? Like there doesn't need to be education on it, you know? It doesn't need to be satire of me doing memes on like, you know, broccoli. <laughs> I still giggle at that. Like the fact that, that we need to teach people, we need to teach people what to eat and how to move around during the day. You know, in my lens, I think that's, it's crazy, but hey, it's what we got to partake in. But I guess, yeah, I guess that is where I do, I do have follow-up questions. Like, yes, there are, I mean, I've met them where people are like, oh shit, I didn't realize going to bed at 2 a.m. was bad for me or I didn't realize broccoli was good. It, it's not usual. It's, I mean, usually people know, like I should be eating vegetables and like drinking water and stuff like that. It's not the lack of knowledge. It's the fact that, again, they are bombarded with either prescription drug commercial, you know what I mean? Like just this whole things that we never had to deal with before from an evolutionary perspective that yeah. we have intrinsic wiring to go for. And the stuff has been scientifically designed to kind yes. of pull us in that direction. Yeah. Because of lacking awareness is my point. Like, so you're going to get bombarded, but you know, the, the question, then you got to ask the question, well, why, why can't, why do we, you and I, Robbie, see the nefarious bad acting intentions from the medical group that pushes that towards us. Why do you and I see that? Right? It was and, through coaching and the fact that, that I fact learned. There's like 2% of all humans that see beyond that, right? That doesn't mean it's not possible. We can't move the 2% to 90%. You know what I'm saying? We don't stop at just recognizing that people are bombarded with that information. No, what we need to do is go, I totally get it. I totally get it, right? but you're at this level of blindness, right? You can't even see how you're being, how you're perceiving that information that comes in. And again, this is where I'm personally, I sit in the like, you need to fucking, you know, continue to strive towards waking up, right? Like, don't come back to me with like, oh, I see all these things. Tell me about it. You know, how is that affecting you? How does it make you feel? What's the feet, you know, the et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm doing there in that process is that, I'm challenging them to move from blindness to awareness. I need you to, I need you to get these aha moments of like, motherfucker, that Super Bowl ad, and then I fucking did this and did there. That's it. That you know, no judgment, but hey, that's a great learning right there. You know, that's a great learning. And the more and more iterations of that, where they push towards relative potential of awareness, right? and not following the play of mediocrity and just being okay with it and using excuses, right? Which is what I hear them as. Um, then, you know, then you can move towards true knowledge, you know, true knowledge around it. I just had that conversation the other day with a, uh, one of my uh, kid, Chloe's soccer dad friends. He was like, you know, I got this thing in the basement. I do this, you know, and he's talking, he knows I'm the fitness professional, right? And he's like, you know, I just, it's there. And I just, I'm just deciding not to do it. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Like, at least, you know, you know, like I said, do you know the benefits of it? He's like, I totally know the benefits of it. Then I said, you're on your way. Right. If you, if you're, if you're knowledgeable about it, 
it'll come. It'll take time and you, you can, you know, decide what you want to do with that. Now, on a further down the road, you know, you bet your bottom dollar, I'm going to be like, okay, it's six months later. What was your, what is your, you know, in, I'm not going to say it this way. Maybe I will though, Robbie, after this, I'll, I'll readjust my questioning. What do you think your responsibility is to yourself? Right now that you know this, what do you think your responsibility is to yourself? And I, I hope, you know, we as coaches and a lot of our clients can get to that, right? Get to these bigger, higher order questions on, you know, what's our responsibility to ourself knowing, knowing that uh, although I know I'm getting preyed upon, I have this opportunity for potential. You know, it's there, it's there. And all that stuff I'm being preyed upon, you know, it's been well known now that drops my working towards potential. You know, that, that moves me away from that. And ironically, the, some of the hard shit inside of that, to your point, which I'm more empathetic to, to some people, it's really powerful marketing because inside of it is seeped in like this is a fast track method of health, right? <laughs> and I, I just pulled the veil over it. It's like, actually, no, it's just a short-term solution, right? But it's the same unconscious unconscious participation of ideas. So people can't learn responsibility to my point, not to make it sting, but I always got to fit this in. <laughs> people will eventually become more unconscious to the approach in the fast track, high intensity group model fitness. You know, they lose responsibility, individual responsibility, you know, which I'm uh, sorry to, you know, placate that one right at the end, but uh, you want to talk about individual responsibility you uh, work in an ID program. That's how you, that's how you work towards that. So I have one more question on this that I want to see if I can get clarification. So if we're saying, you know, eventual goal, responsibility, fitness professionals try to dissolve the profession of coaching essentially to the point where people take responsibility for their own stuff. Would we similarly want to dissolve the profession of teaching? And if, if, if not, why not? So people can learn physics from a book. There's no reason they can't pick up a book and read it once they have the capacity to read or math or English. Um, and yet we all know we've all experienced, not in every case, but there's a tremendous amount of benefit to learning it from a third party and being able to ask questions and having it presented in a certain fashion from a human, um, I guess I, what I wonder here is I, I don't necessarily have a problem with the conclusion, but philosophically, I do wonder what is it that makes it such that that thing that involves teaching and coaching should go away, but this other thing that is quite valuable shouldn't go away as well, or should it? Yeah. Yeah. No, good question. I think it's uh well, the first one, why the teaching coaching inside of exercise should go away uh, because, and I don't want to make that lengthy so I can get to my next points on just teaching in general, but um, it's easy. Um, it's not complex and uh, uh, it, it looks like it's really hard for people to understand and participate in self-care, but it's super easy. So I don't think the competency and the level of education that's inside of it for an individual human is, <laughs> is like more than three months. I fucking kid you not. It's like such a short period of time. I think all the other things come with repetition, right? So yeah, participating in physical expression from age three to 18, it may take like repetition of that to get it embedded like, oh, okay, I get this, right? But the actual competency, the book took three months. Like it's, it's fucking 
It's so simple. It's ridiculous. Another time. Um, the teaching one, though, I think about two things when you ask that, the dissolving of that. I think that's largely outside of our control as to what we deem appropriate for how we live a life culturally. So what vocations are, what's required to have a, you know, a continued uh, upgrade of uh, civilization, right? Like we needed to have millions of engineers, you know, create infrastructure of rocks so that we can get across water and we all don't fall in the water. You know what I'm saying? So that had to involve some tea, but you could say, well, you know, why did, why was teaching necessary for all those people? Um, because as populations grew and cultures move on, there was these big rivers. We had to get over them with efficiency with these cars that had wheels. So I'm just using it as an example of like, as culture shifts and change. The interesting thing about your question though, is I think we are in a current starting point of a major shift in what teaching is and what education is because of two things. We're starting to recognize that the current requirements and competencies of most humans outside of the currently established academia is kind of working against one another for what our culture requires, right? And secondarily, with this influx of information technology, my previously mentioned point of cognitive repertoires of humans at younger ages who could simply go on Khan Academy and get shit done in a very short period of time, then who's the teacher? It's really ones and zeros. It's bits and bytes. You know what I'm saying? So that is a, in a futuristic context is going to have a big impact. You know, those two points of like the current you know, it's, it's well known, right? I mean, there's a shit ton of people coming out competent and they got nothing for the current requirements for a lot of the, let's call it vocations. So vocations have changed and therefore over time, I think it's a culture is upstream from what's required in, um, if that's, if I said that correctly, culture is upstream from what's required culturally to be taught. And so I think as, you know, let's, let's take a, you know, a funny, let's take a funny model. Uh, and I got into that kind of thinking when I read two books, Antinatalism and uh, University Basic in Income. And when I went, when I dug into both of those, <laughs> you know, you start realizing, yeah, what would happen if you didn't have to, you know, have work where you were just guaranteed a certain income per month? Do you see how it, it like, and don't, don't worry about all the freaky shit that you're thinking about in regards to your issues that you have with that, uh, with responsibility and people just be on video games. Like the, the ideas people come up with are crazy, but what you should do is dig in and say, then what is the teaching structure? Like, well, what are you, what are you spending all that time as a young person learning if you don't really need all those learnings as competency to go from 20 to 85, just, just taking a check. You see what I'm saying? Like, so I think that all those big cultural changes lead to what necessarily you need to be taught. Sorry, that was lengthy, but uh, that was just two areas. I do have others that, you know, you know, maybe for another time or that's, that's a real good, real interesting question. Appreciate the, appreciate that. No, I appreciate the answer. I mean, I can, I can definitely see the complexity point. Uh, you know, calculus or, you know, 
uh, quantum mechanics or something like that. But it it, it does um, or financing yeah. and finance, you know, like wealth and think about think about this on Bitcoin. Like maybe in eight years, maybe in twelve years, um, a new form of uh, um, money, a new form of value or whatever we want to call it comes into existence that becomes well accepted, you know? Um, do you think possibly we're gonna to have to have millions and millions of young people being taught about that because that's what they need to know as professionals to learn as adults how to help people meander this thing? And I don't know if you've ever looked into Ethereum or <laughs> cryptocurrency. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just, it, my brain just fries, right? So is that complex? Well, I guess the the argument could be, well, your brain is just not good enough, James, to handle it. Okay, you got me. I would say that most need some complex education to get there. That's why I always fall back on to like, to, to do self-care. It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. So you, you do make a good point and hopefully I have a just sh small small uh, piece of why you need to have, you know, for your um, one, one thing you brought up there too is really good. <clears throat> why, why would we need individuals that need to know those, uh, you know, uh, quantum physics is quantum physics. Yeah. 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 Why? Based upon what we've observed over the past hundred years, we may want to, we don't, we're not investigating uh, moving off this planet for shits and giggles, right? Like, and we need to know, we need to have lots of minds for many years competent in that area to come up with these things, right? Beyond Newton, beyond Einstein that, that lead us to that, right? Um, and I think we are at an interesting point just on that point of physics, um, just after reading, uh, um, is it uh, Frank Wilczek's book on fundamentals and just reality? Um, we are at an intricate time where I think we need to answer those questions. To your point, like we're going to have to get a lot of people that are educated in that, right? That's going to require teaching. That won't be just like, <laughs> just wipe it all out, you know, so. Right. But I, I do wonder there. So like, the same way, you know, you've said in the past. So, I mean, we can absolutely say that, you know, for building things like bridges at one point in the past or doing things like quantum mechanics or calculus or Bitcoin, there are going to be certain things that one may need a teacher for because they are particularly complex. But in a similar way to you, to where, you know, you've said in the past, well, you know, there will still be coaches. They just will be for specialty things. They'll be for, you know, um, rugby or sprinting or what, what have you, but the, the general fitness coach, the, the eventual, yeah. oh, there would be for that base level yeah. to not exist. The question then becomes, you know, for the vast majority of teaching, which doesn't have anything to do necessarily with building bridges or, you know, our need to necessarily get on in life. It's about reading literature or painting mm -hmm. or getting yep. philosophy or something like that. And it's not even at the highest level of that. Most of it is at the basic level, mm -hmm. something that someone could read a book for yes. instead um, yeah, I still wonder, and maybe we just say, maybe we bite the bullet there and we just say, yeah, you could read a book. Um, you don't have to have a teacher. It's just, it's just an interesting, yeah. Question. Why is there that, um, asymmetry where we would say it would just be, it would be ridiculous in the future for someone to ask for a fitness coach. Would it be similarly ridiculous in the future? 
hundred years from now with the internet and just, you know, Wikipedia or whatever the future version of that is for anyone to have a teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's so. a fair question. And, uh, I, I gave my opinion on it. I think it'll just be, uh, you know, a cultural, cultural change, but I think it's, yeah, there's something about that biological imprint and, you know, what we've done in repetition for so long, that's, it's a, uh, it's not that complex. It's not that hard. And I think that leads me to my last question that I want to ask you. That's, that's kind of on that thing, you know, we, so let's just assume like we've been talking about that there is this responsibility to cultivate fitness. Uh, the last question I had is a, a matter of degrees. So, yeah. um, you know, Kant and others famously say you have a responsibility to cultivate your talent. So, um, when we say cultivate our talents with regard to fitness, are we just saying base level, like walking and pick up, picking up rocks? Are we saying motor control, strength and endurance and max contractions, you know, with nutrition, are we saying like just eating meat and vegetables or like learning about micronutrient sufficiency and environmental impact? And just, I'm curious your thoughts on like, what degree of responsibility do we have? Is it just acquiring the base level? Is it working our way up? What are your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think, I think we currently, for the next 20 or 30 years, have responsibility to keep going into the complexities and the depth of all those things from the macro right down to the micro level to validate these truths over time so it becomes super simple. I just say, as I, as I said, I think this you and I conversation is fairly new. The whole concept is new. <clears throat> and I think we've only just started discussing it since 2010. You know, and I could be wrong on that, but, it, you know, so I just think, I think uh, it'll probably have to get, <clears throat> and this could be, maybe I'm wrong, maybe you could, or maybe I'm just off on saying this one, but maybe you can think of another industry where they had to get really complex and, and dig into all that stuff. And then after 30, 40 years, they recognized it was, it was important that they went super complex because then when they came out the other side, it validated the truth that it was quite simple. You know, so <laughs> if I'm making sense of that, you know, yeah. and I think yeah. at that current time where, you know, it's, it's, it's almost becoming satirical. Like, and that's why we have great humorists in fitness today, right? <laughs> that when they make fun of it, it's like, you know what, that is funny. Why do, why do people just not see the power in broccoli? You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's not humorous, but you get my point. Um, but it takes like 25 years of of uh, indole three carbonyl, you know, uh, fiber type butyric acid creation, et cetera. It takes all that, right? All that. But a coach, as they're going through that, it would make sense to me. I'm, I'm, I'm empathetic, right? It would make sense to you. You're like, oh, that must be really important. And I'm here saying it's not that really important. Now, that doesn't mean you still should know it, but there will come a time where we'll go, you know what? <laughs> Just get on with it. Choose broccoli, don't choose Doritos period. Do we really need 25 years of research to like work this back and forth, you know? And, uh, and if we just look around today, yes, we do apparently, right? We do. We need 10 years of scientific nutritional data to show us that uh, broccoli may be better. You know, <laughs> are you kidding me? That's what I'm saying, right? But to your point, I think we're just in that interim time where it's required to get complex, to come out the other side, to make it more macro and to make it more like uh, holistic and natural and, and uh, uh, easily, easily aware. 
in 2121, it'll be a rosary of choose broccoli, not Doritos, period. Just like that'll be the repetition. It's just <laughs> telling you a hundred years from now, it's going to be the fitness and philosophy podcast is going to be the call. <laughs> going to be the equivalent of the call to prayer. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you ever think about how they'll save, uh, how they'll save the information? Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah, Like, uh, you know, vinyls, VHS, cassette tape, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, that, that was a short period of time and you know going digital is like oh my gosh this is like in place and we're living the best time possible that how about 100 years like how how would you save that information right you know um yeah, yeah what if an emp takes up an amazon web services you know yeah you know yeah. well musk just put up i think like uh, 35 more uh satellites the starlink uh just putting them up there, shooting them around, you know. I heard Jeff Bezos or something. Jeff Bezos or like scientists are sending like millions of animal sperm to the moon. Oh. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe there'll be a podcast bunker oh. up on the moon. <laughs> I'm down with that for a year. Here we are, episode uh, 73. Coming to you from the moon. Because civilization has been destroyed and we're <laughs> podcasting into the void now. Somehow Robbie and I have to figure out how to continue this group. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> with, and with, to make that even more humorous, I can't even reproduce. So that's a, that's a good one right there. Rock and hard episode. Us, us going. Well, you know what's even more psychotic of that episode? There's only two of us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're speaking in a room about a podcast that is only for you and I. Yep. It's like a waiting for Godot. Yeah. Type uh, absurdist. That's thing. a book, though. If anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Great book. Sci-fi literature folks listening in. <clears throat> what goes on in that room? for a book, 300 pages, just two people, two males, one can't reproduce. <clears throat> yeah. What do you do? What's the reason? Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. But it, it, it also reminded me of kind of a waiting for Godot, like absurdist <laughs> type, type play. But Well, I enjoyed that today. That was that was very helpful. That helped clarify a lot of things around why we are responsible for this and how this differs from teaching or hunting or any any one of a number of things that we could potentially outsource and why we wouldn't. And yeah, I think I think I got a lot more clarity on um, the connection between capability and responsibility, specifically for fitness that mm -hmm. I've been wondering about there. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you uh, on the next episode of Fitness in Philosophy. See you then. <laughs>